0: Recorded live, Union Inn, Washington, D.C. 1112, 1114, 3rd Street, Northeast. We are steps to Noma Gallaudet Metro. Nice, brisk walk to Union Station. And a leisurely jaw to the Capitol, Capitol Hill. I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddie, host extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to Guest Book Podcast. Guest Book Podcast, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on
0: jupiter and mars in other words (laughs) we've missed you and we have a whole bunch of good podcasts coming up including this one with miss victoria tejada did i say it correctly
1: perfect
0: (laughs) now victoria is originally born in manila which is the largest city in the philippines and at nine years old, came over to NYC and was raised there. And I'm assuming your New York roots play a part in choosing this song right here.
1: Absolutely.
0: What are we listening to?
1: So this is Frank Sinatra, and it's called Fly Me to the Moon.
0: Why'd you choose this one?
1: Every time I hear it makes me want to dance. But I love this part.
0: So I, I faded out here. We'll, we'll have it playing at the outro. You're a cancer survivor. I am. Please tell us.
1: So uh, back in 2005, I was taking a shower and I felt a lump. I remember thinking, oh, you know, oh, brother, what is that? And I didn't think anything of it. So then I told my husband and I told him the way I felt. It was no big deal. So, of course, he freaks out. But the thing I remember about that too is I told my sister just in passing, Hey, I'm gonna go get a mammogram and you know, and she said, What do you mean? And I said, Well, I felt this lump but it it's no big deal. They're probably just gonna send me home. And uh she said, Oh, well I'm going over there I said, No, you don't need to go. So, um So then I go for my mammogram and they said, and I was so scared, and they said it's benign. So, which is what I suspected. So I was relieved. But then um, they said because of the size, it needs to be removed. It needs to be removed soon. But it was benign, not cancerous.
0: Okay, so when they say benign, they're saying that this is just a lump. That could be anything. Right.
1: It's non-cancerous. Okay but it needs to be removed because of the size. Mm-hmm. So I go, oh, phew, see, told you it was nothing. So I went ahead and scheduled it, and then um, um, I told my sister, and she says, well, I'll be there. I says, not a big deal, please don't come. She said, yeah, whatever, you don't tell me what to do. So she comes, <laughs> and I go, and then uh, for some reason, w- they were gonna postpone it, but then the surgeon said, no, we'll just do it now. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the surgery, but I couldn't talk. And I woke up at the same time I heard the surgeon say, oh, expletive, it's malignant. So they didn't know until they saw it. And later on she said, it didn't look right to me, Victor, it didn't look right. And then I I wanted to get people's attention and it's this nightmare that I've heard about people go through where they wake up in the middle of the surgery and they're feeling pain but they can't talk so and I woke up but I think I said ow or something and the next thing I knew the mask came on and I went back to sleep then when I woke up in the recovery room I thought I had dreamt it you know what I heard but then the surgeon came, and I saw in her face, oh no, before she got there, I thought, I was making pacts with God, and I said, if that wasn't a dream, and it's true, I have two boys, oh gosh, you're gonna make me cry. I have two boys, I cannot leave them, and I was making all kinds of pacts with God. And I remember telling him, I said, or her, I said you did not bring them into this world so that they'd be without a mother. That doesn't make any sense. How old were they at this time? So they were seven and three. So then the surgeon comes into the recovery room and I could tell on her face it wasn't a dream. And she told me and I don't think I cried, but the one thing she did tell me to make me feel better. She said I had breast cancer. And I said, and you're here. She said, and you will be too. You're Henry like me. You'll survive this. So meanwhile, back in the waiting room, my sister, who insisted on coming, um, called my husband down when they told him. My husband freaked out as any person would. And if she hadn't been there, you know, I don't know how my husband would have handled it by himself. So it was, really wonderful that she was there it was as if she knew she need she was needed
0: if you don't mind me asking how old were you when you discovered the lump
1: so i was about 40 41 i remember forever in a day i used to tell people i can't wait till i'm 40. i don't know why i used to say that i think 40 sounded like some magical number and then around 40, maybe 40 and a half, is when I was diagnosed. So that's kind of weird.
0: How far along had the cancer developed at that point?
1: So I was um, stage two, and it's because of the size. I mean, it was big enough that, that you can feel it. So stage four is when it has spread to your lymph nodes, and it's, um, you know, It's a lot harder, but yeah, I was at stage two, so I was very, very lucky.
0: Is that considered early?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess the best is stage one, yeah.
0: Okay, and is that before you can feel it pretty much?
1: Yeah, I believe they go by size, at least with my type of breast cancer. Okay. So anyway, so I went through two more surgeries, and I went through chemo, and I went through radiation. But throughout the time, I chose not to tell my boys because they were young, they didn't know. So I lost my hair and I thought, you know what, I'm okay with that. But then when I went home without my hair, because it was just coming out in clumps. So I went to the salon that was specialized with uh, helping people, w- helping cancer patients deal with those kinds of issues. I went there, I said, just go ahead and just shave it. Cause you know, it's freaky. I'd be laying down and I'd scratch my head and there's a handful of hair. And she said, well, do you want a wig? And I said, no, I'm okay with it. But I did cry when she was shaving it off and I saw all the hair on the floor. I was okay, but when I went home, and Christian, my three-year-old at the time, saw me, he was frightened, so I went back, and I said, yes, I want that wig, and then when I came back, I remember he had this look on his face, like, weren't you just bald, and, um, but I guess he forgot, so I had this awesome wig that was made of human hair that they glued on, I could swim with it. I can wash it as if it was normal hair. And so they never saw me without hair. So, and I dealt with it best I could. And on my bad days, I would just tell my boys I had the flu, you know, because there were days when I was just in bed. I was too sick.
0: How long was this period?
1: I want to say, well, I mean, during the treatment period. See, I blanked most of it out, maybe six, eight months. But the aftermath is just as difficult, so
0: it's in remission, I'm assuming, or is it Yeah, gone? um yeah. Is there I'm a not difference between remission would. and gone?
1: Well, they don't say it's gone, but they say the likelihood of it returning after all these years is almost close to zero.
0: So how long has that period been?
1: Uh, so since two thousand five, two thousand and six, so thirteen years. Yeah. So I'm good. I tell you there's angels walking on this earth one of them is Besides my sister is my sister-in-law She I we couldn't have survived without her. She was everything. She was there for everything And she never said no whatever requests we made whether it's to watch the kids whatever she was there with a smile and, and She made you feel comfortable. She never felt like she never made me feel like I was asking too much of her it was she was happy to help. That's how she felt. And she was just amazing. So I look back at those times and I'm just so grateful to her. And um, and my husband and I dealt with it. And I remember on my last day of my radiation, I was walking out of the hospital because it's an outpatient thing. And I saw my husband walking up from the parking garage with a Dozen roses and champagne on one hand. He was like struggling and crushing my three-year-old on the other hand There was no no better sight than that and Alex was in school at the time. So yeah So now I'm a firm believer that uh, Obviously that people do survive that cancer is not a death sentence and Cancer is not taboo and they have medicines that can help tremendously and people should not hesitate to seek help, to reach out to their loved ones or whoever that may be, their friends for help and they should not be ashamed. It's no longer a taboo subject and I am just so proud of all the women, all the people who are working so very, very hard, whether it's through fundraising, um, research, whatever, who are fighting cancer of every type so, you know they're out on the front lines fighting this every day i'm just in awe of their courage
0: last question mm-hmm. um at what age should women start getting mammograms to check for possible breast cancer
1: i think the recommendation is Forty, I, I don't know. But I think the recommendation is 40. However, I found it before I started getting mammograms. And uh, I found it in the shower. So women of all ages should check themselves. They're their best uh, advocate for their own health. So they shouldn't wait until they get a mammogram. Or in between, you know, until the next mammogram. They should check themselves in between mammograms. And even before they get that first mammogram, so.
0: Well, we're happy that you're a cancer survivor. Thank
1: you. I am too.
0: Truly <laughs> blessed.
1: Yes, I am absolutely, and and um, I'm still here for my boys.
0: You ready for the seven questions? Sure. All right. What's it called, what? y'all? It's the questions. What? It's the questions. What? Boy, It's the questions. What? It's the questions. What? Yeah. Questions. Question number what? one. Y'all? It's the Book that you would add to the library downstairs
1: so i love to travel that's one of my passions and i think because you house people here from all over the world perhaps you should have something from rick steves rick steves is a, a travel guru and i've read most of his books plus i love his philosophy that you should travel because you want to get to know the people and the culture and connect with people not to see the iconic structures you know so he will point you towards hotels that are owned by families that are local
0: sounds like my kind of guy yeah i need to get on his list yeah yeah because i like to think we're family friendly yeah we're about you know fostering connections with people
1: I actually, from, I mean, I don't know him personally, but from what I read of his books and his philosophy on traveling, and if he had come here, you he would, he would definitely be on his recommendations.
0: So which one of these books?
1: Oh, any any of them is great. There's also his book called Europe Through the Back Door, which stresses his philosophy of coming in not as an american visiting the country but more as a person who wants to get to know their host country
0: all right number two podcast subscribe
1: i don't know any i'm sorry yours thank you yours absolutely guestbook podcast it's the most awesome podcast
0: in the world
1: absolutely Everyone should listen to everyone should listen. I mean, this
0: guy just takes random people that stays at his inn, and he just converses with them. And the seven questions are just absolutely amazing and captivating. Learn a whole lot.
1: Yes, and he makes you feel like you've known them forever.
0: Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Number three, something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it.
1: Well, it's not a thing, but I have to say, my children. So I was one of those people that didn't necessarily want to have children when she grew up. I wanted that corner office, so to speak. I was ambitious. Mm -hmm. And then when I decided, should I, should I not have children, I actually interviewed. How dumb is this? I actually interviewed people with children, (laughs) asking them, what do you like about children? What don't you like about it? If you had to do it again, I mean, stupid, stupid questions. Cause I didn't know what I wanted. And then I just took a leap of faith, and my gosh, they just—they're amazing people, and they make me a better person. And just for that alone, I'm grateful for them. And I had no idea how much richer life is uh, with children, at least for me, than without kids. So,
0: how so? For to someone who does not have children, how would you explain it being a richer experience?
1: Well, first of all, I think to be a better parent, you have to work at being a better person. And you it's almost, I think, a requirement to want to be a better person because you are the model for your children. So if you want them to be good people, you have to be a good person. That's not always easy, you know, because we're all human. So part of being a, a better person is being open to different cultures, different people, different everything, different beliefs. So that makes life richer because you open yourself up. The other thing is, you know, people say you've seen something a million times and then until you see it through your children's eyes, it isn't really special. And I've discovered that to be true because children have a way of looking at things. That adults don't always see because they're so. I know it sounds so stereot, not stereotypical, but corny, sentimental. That they do look at uh, the world with, without bias. bias. Yeah, without any decision beforehand on what it should be. They're just open to so many things, and when you're with them, you have you you can't help but look at the world through their eyes, and you discover things through them so so yeah that's why they just I don't want to let them go <laughs> but I know I have to but I don't want to let them go but
0: they'll always be your children
1: yeah they'll always be my children
0: number four bucket list place to travel you said you love to travel can't wait for this one
1: so bucket list to travel that I've been to correct oh okay so two places actually so one of them is a place called Cinque Terra so that's C i n q u e,
0: C i n,
1: Q u e, Q u e, and the second word is terra T e r r e. I'm sorry for the Italians out there if I'm mispronouncing it. Um, so it is um a a set of five small towns in Italy, and it's against the Mediterranean. And there's a very famous picture that one. This one. Yeah it in color um that's it right there um and it is absolutely beautiful and from what i read um these were small fishing fishing villages that were basically hard to get to until the 1950s when they built a train to go there and they built bridges from w- a way to get from one village to the other uh, previously you had to take the boat to get there um, they basically kept their way of life to this day. And it is just absolutely beautiful. And when we were there, we would just go by the water and we would watch the fishermen pull their boats in and their nets and things. Um, unfortunately, a lot more people have discovered it, so maybe I shouldn't be <laughs> um, recommending it. Um, but I think part of So a lot more people have discovered it that now they're thinking of limiting the number of people go there because they just cannot support that many people. But I think most of the people that are causing them issues are people who are coming from cruise ships because they just stay for a day and they don't necessarily spend money on the island. Uh, Well, when we were there, we were there about five days, I believe. And we stayed there, and it was so much fun. They all have their own personalities, each of the villages.
0: Is the collection of villages called Cinca Terra? Yes. Okay.
1: So Cinca in Italian means five. Mm -hmm. I guess Terra means either villages or land.
0: Yeah, land.
1: Yeah, and then if you're up at the top on one of the villages, the best one, I believe, is uh, Verano. Vernazia, that's it. That's, I think, one of the more pretty ones. From
0: north to south is Monterosso, Almare, Vernazia, Cornelia, Manarola, Mm -hmm. and Rio Rio Maggiore. Maggiore. Yes. Okay.
1: It's beautiful. Anyway, the way we came about that was my son Alex said, because we were going to Italy, he saw a beautiful picture and he says, Mom, can we go here? I said, well, where is here? He goes, I don't know. So we started researching, and then I was determined to go see it because it was so beautiful in the pictures. It is hard to get to, yeah. but once you're there, you don't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. So you can either land in Milan mm-hmm. and then and take the train or Genoa, drive, yeah. And then,
0: which is on the coast, and yes. then head east along the coast. Yes, or you can, I guess, fly to Florence, Florence or west. Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Rome is further south.
1: And they have a wonderful train system in Italy. So I forget how long it is, but from La Spezia, which is where you would get off on the main train, to Florence, I want to say is three hours. I can't remember.
0: Number five, 50-mile detour restaurant. (laughs) This is a restaurant that you'd be willing to go 50 miles out of your way just to eat at.
1: So growing up in Queens, there is this, in Elmhurst, I should say, there was this uh, pizzeria, so New Yorkers like like their pizzas.
0: Yes, they do. They're and quite snobbish about yes, it.
1: Yes, we are. But this pizza is different. It's not the same big slices you fold over and you eat while you're walking, and and. I'm not sure what the origin is. I should know because I was eating there for 30 years. But anyway, there are these small pizza pies about this big. And one person can eat a whole pie even though they say they can't, but they end up eating it. And it, there is no flavor quite like it. And I, maybe I love it so much because I grew up on it, but I love it. Anyway, so I'm giving them a shout out. It's called Singa's, S-I-N-G-A famous pizza. Now the original, where I used to go to as a child, is no longer there. And I remember crying when I found out they closed, because they had been there since 1960-something, and they closed. But there are others, uh, and I think they're owned by the same family, maybe cousins or whatever. But yeah, if I found one that I know is definitely open and serves that same pizza from my childhood, absolutely I will go.
0: Okay. And it's a rectangle, right?
1: No, it's a it's a circle. Mm-hmm. It's about the size of a dinner plate. It's okay. that small.
0: It's so like eight inches. Yeah, maybe. All the yeah. way around. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. it's is it deep dish, thin crust?
1: No, it's thin crust. Okay. Well, not as thin as a wood fired oven pizza. But it's thin. But it, it's not like Chicago Chicago no no, nothing like that although they do bake it in the same black dish as the Chicago pizza pies but they don't fill it up with stuff like the Chicago pizza
0: so the rim of the cast iron thing comes up higher than the actual top of the pizza interesting
1: and then it's kind of cool because they have these big old machetes and they would take the point of that machete, pull out the pizza when it's done, and then they would go, plop, 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 and they, they would just slice it like that.
0: What do you think made the taste so distinct? The bread, the tomato sauce?
1: I wanna say it's the bread. It was so fluffy and crispy, but it was baked in a regular oven, not like the wood fired now, so it has a different flavor. I remember talking to the owner once, um, and he said it's Mediterranean style.
0: Number six, your number one skill. So this is your number one honed craft, something that you worked at.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna sound like a sentimental sap, but I would say the skill that I hone the most is being a mom. I work at it every day. And every day I think, I torture myself when I go to bed. Okay, what went right today? What went wrong? How can I do this better? She could teach us all
0: that's the first time that anyone has said that on this podcast being a mother being a father like the skill of parenting if you will
1: yeah and i got to meet the product her two sons and they are so nice Oh, and they're so respectful and they were so engaged with us adults and asking us questions they never pulled out their phone i was so impressed and they're very ambitious thank you I'm very proud of them, but and and as I told Olivia, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I it I can't take any credit, cause truthfully they were born that way, and that's how I believe parenting is. And I'm sorry if I'm getting sentimental again, but I believe that regardless of your religion, children come from a higher source, and. Uh, and they come here for whatever their purpose may be, and your job as a parent is to have them realize what their purpose on this earth is, and mostly to get out of the way. You don't try and influence them, you don't try and pressure, you don't try to make them to something they're not, but you do the best you can, and uh, you just try to get out of the way. So I believe my boys were born that way and I try so hard just to get out of the way. Of course, I give them love and guidance and all that, but so part of that parenting is, I think a lot of people have it backwards. They think, <laughs> oh, I'm the parent and I'm going to teach you and here's what you will learn and so I can boss you around, I can do it. I believe the one thing that children need the most besides love Uh, and attention is respect. And I think people don't put respect and children in the same sentence. I think to teach them respect, you have to respect them. And from a very, and, and I was weird like that. I remember people would make fun of me because even at a young age I would ask my children what they wanted I always gave them choices I was always asking permission to do things and they would blow their minds away like why are you asking a five-year-old what he thinks of what you're about to do so but I've always felt that they're just really little people they're not these things that we need to mold they know what they're here for you just need to guide them and get out of the way
0: if you don't mind me asking, how did you discipline your children when they were growing up?
1: So I've never spanked my children. Okay. My husband never spanked his children. And part of that is because when I was growing up, my dad never spanked me. My mom did mm-hmm. a lot. But I was more afraid of my dad than I was of my mom because of that look he gave. When he gave you that look, he meant business. But he's never spanked me. And then my husband said his parents never spanked him, and I remember we talked about it a lot before we had kids. And you know, I love my mom to death, and it was what she knew. But I remember feeling the sting of being spanked, and it wasn't pleasant. And I just thought that there's got to be a better way, and uh, and and the alternative isn't easy because your first instinct when you're frustrated and you're tired is to just get them to stop whatever they're doing that's bothering you and there goes the hand. It's a lot more difficult to take a deep breath and, and what helped me was how would my children feel if I were to just hit them right now? And then, um, and I always believe that I cannot teach my children not to hit another human being when I'm hitting them. And that was always, it always felt wrong to me because when they were little, now they're a lot taller than me, they were little, and I was bigger, more powerful. I'm their mom, they can't talk back to me. If I were to hit them, that would just take everything away, you know? I don't have to tell them I'm their mom by hitting them. They know I'm their mom. Yeah, so I try, you know, and those are the things when I go to bed, because it isn't easy. So for those folks who are thinking, oh, yeah, well, that other stuff doesn't work. Well, you find stuff that does work, and it's different for every child. And they're gonna test you beyond your capacity. But I think if you go with the belief that it isn't an option, then it's easier, I think. And my husband and I helped each other out because he didn't believe in it. I didn't believe in it. So when one of us would get to that point, we'd remind, yeah, each other, with the respect. It goes hand in hand with lots and lots of attention, mm. you know. And I know for a lot of parents, especially single moms, that is a tall order. Yeah. So I get where people are coming from. So I'm not judging. I'm just saying, you know, that's what worked for me, my husband, our kids, but. You know, I think maybe it's time to think of a different approach to raising children. One that makes everybody feel better. Because I can't imagine when you hit your child that you feel better. I know I wouldn't. But then again, you know, everybody has to make that decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. So.
0: Last but certainly not least, number seven, your number one talent. Yeah. This is an innate proficiency, something you didn't have to work at. You just were born with it.
1: So I was talking to Olivia about this earlier. The one thing she did say that my boys and Ray, my husband have echoed, was that I am empathetic and I do feel people's pain and I do listen. And it's gotten me in trouble many times because the wrong people read into that and take advantage. Mm -hmm. But I can get on a bus and strike up a conversation with someone and it's happened a few times by the end of that bus ride, I'd know everything about that person's life. And I think it's because I'm open, like I tell people, I hate secrets, I tell people about me if they ask and they're interested, you know, certain things I'm not at liberty to say if it concerns others, but I like to talk and be open, so I think that makes them feel like they can do the same. I've always felt other people's pain, and it's not pleasant. 'Cause you know, it's not pleasant because when you feel people's pain and you're not always in the position to help them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that's a gift though. That's a gift.
1: Or a curse, which
0: <laughs> Seems like most gifts are curses, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The balance of, of things, you know. Nothing's a hundred percent all good or all bad that's right when you're a gifted host you get these guests that just don't leave
1: (laughs) five weeks in you're like how am i gonna get rid of her now she's bringing people over but in
0: in that i love it even more because i get to see the whole spectrum of so many different personalities and so many different people from all over the world and to me that's a blessing (laughs) Do you have any social media contact information, website, anything you want to share with the guests in case they want to get in contact with you?
1: Uh, no, I don't. Okay. yeah,
0: There's nothing wrong with that. Hit the yeah. bus. <laughs> Hit the bus and you'll find her. Tell her your story.
1: <laughs> yeah. Tell me your story.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this has been yet another wonderful, wonderful episode of Guest Book Podcast. Of course, I'm Innkeeper Freddie. If you want to reach me, uh, feel free to do so via email at inkeeper at dot com, and of course the website is unionndc.com. And I'm on Instagram. Got three handles: uh, at guestbookpod for the podcast you're listening to, at unionndc for the end. and at innkeeperfreddy for my personal Instagram where. I will reiterate, we have beautiful pictures of Filipino cuisine from Bad Saint.
1: How about that? It was awesome. Oh, I need to download (laughs) those. It was so good.
0: You want to give us any thoughts on on the food that we ate there?
1: It was awesome. It was delicious. It was creative. So, I got a hint of what the dishes tasted like from my childhood, but it's not really the dishes I tasted from my childhood. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and I think Therein lies his talent, that he can take something that may be considered, you know, everyday fare in the Philippines and elevate it to what we had that night. It was awesome.
0: I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed yeah. it. And yes, what made it that much better was that before we ate Tom, the executive chef there, Tom Cunanan, who won James Beard Award for Best Mid-Atlantic Restaurant uh, this year in 2019. He was actually there and Victoria got to have a nice five ten minute conversation yes, with him. He
1: was very generous. Yeah. And, time.
0: and they really went over the whole of Philippines talking about different places where the food was and their experiences there. And that made the meal that much better. Yeah. So yeah, Victoria, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a long awaited podcast. I mean, Olivia was saying from like day three, you've got to get Victoria onto this podcast like no doubt and so we finally did it
1: thank you thanks for having me of course yeah and this is so wonderful and you make me feel so at ease so it's like i've known you forever
0: well thank you (laughs) thank you i'm trying to make it my number one skill Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh anytime you come back to tc by all means just reach out to me let me know and uh you're good to go
1: yeah maybe i'll stay and bring my 26 family (laughs) members.
0: hey you know what hopefully by then we'll have a space large enough to house them (laughs) and you know what we'll make it happen all right again ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for tuning in and uh we will see you next week